I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, this isn't to strike anyone. Uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that, that this week has been an interesting week because in the study of this text, uh, it's one that I hold in, in very high regard. And what I didn't want to do was come into this morning and having assumption of where you're at in your relationship with the Lord and what that looks like in your life. And my hope is that this passage is definitely a passage that could speak to someone who wants to know what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be in Christ and how to live in that life? But for others, it, it's really Paul writing in this portion of Colossians of wanting you as a Christian to have a confidence and a stability in your faith because you understand the sufficiency of Jesus, that He is more than enough for what we need in our life. And one of the things that I discovered, I can remember years ago, uh, I, was, I was at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and my professor was kind of one of the, I would say, the he was just really big in student ministry, youth ministry. And one of the illustrations that he would use in wanting to engage with students that really resonated with me is he would bring a pipe and he would talk about how in our lives that we have almost these like gaping holes within our life of what we're trying to, to have filled. We're looking for something to kind of fill that void. And the illustration that he used was really basically a, a pipe and he would have it basically kind of connected to the heart. And he said, what you have is you have individuals who there's just this vacuum of air that is just making its way into your life. And you're looking for anything to make that vacuum of air stop because it's painful. Some of you, you've cut yourself before. You've had a major wound of, of sorts where it's kind of gashed open. Sometimes even just when the air hits it, it's incredibly painful and you want that to stop. So what do you do? You cover it. You want to make sure, one, you don't bleed anymore, but two, you don't want the air to even hit it because that's just raw and it's exposed. And so he used the idea that at times it's as if they have this, we as individuals have this like pipe coming out of our heart and we're looking for anything to kind of fill that void. And what we've done is we've said, maybe perhaps I can fill that void uh, in my life where I'm, I'm needing to uh, to experience something maybe uh, physically in my life, because maybe there is a pain that I have, like I'm physically hurting. There's some kind of physical malady that you have. And so we look to fill that void to make sure that that air no longer is seeping in what's painful. And so maybe we, we medicate it. Maybe we go to a pill. Maybe we go to a doctor. We go to a drug. Those are fine things, but we're looking for something to be able to kind of help fill that void. Same can be true for us maybe emotionally or even um, mentally. Maybe emotionally, we're looking for that emotional kind of hurt or anguish that we've experienced. And so we go to, again, maybe self-medicate with some kind of bottle, whether it's a pill bottle or whether it's an alcohol bottle. We're looking for something to fill that void. We're looking maybe for a relationship, maybe mentally we're struggling and we're just wondering, can anything kind of help stop this pain? Because I feel, I feel off. Things just in general feel off in my life. And so maybe we go to counseling or maybe we uh, look to have a relationship to be able to kind of help cease that pain so that whatever is off in my life can kind of be fixed and click. Or maybe it's spiritually. Maybe spiritually what we see is people will go, I'm going to go to religion I'm going, to, I'm going to find in religion that, that thing that I need that will no longer make me feel off, but make me feel right, and the pain will stop, the wondering will stop, the anxiety will stop, the chaos will stop. So we go to religion, and maybe you try that for a while, and then you go to maybe no religion, or you go to self-religion of, I'm kind of my own God, I'm the arbiter of my soul, I'm the captain of my life, I'll make those decisions and really kind of worship my, myself, or 
Maybe we look to a leader, maybe in the life of some kind of religious institution of that guy's captivating, he seems to have it together, what does he have to say? Or maybe we might even go to, to a book and be like, man, if, I, if, I, if I'm reading this book and I do what it says and I got seven ways to figure out my life and have this kind of independence and this freedom, then this is going to be the answer to what I need in my life to kind of fill that void and make sure that, that it ceases and that it stops. And the thing is, is I believe that all of us, even in this room right now, at times we just feel off, that something is off. And the reality is that feeling that you feel is off is because something is off in our lives. Something isn't right. Something is actually dreadfully wrong. In fact, the condition is far worse than we could ever even fathom or really grasp. And what Paul and what the Scriptures are wanting to relay to us today in this passage is that you're looking, and maybe it makes sense in your mind, you're looking for ways in which to fix the thing that's off. I need to do something. I need to read the book, follow the leader, get into this religion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this pill. I'm going to go to this counseling. I'm going to do some things that are maybe good. I'm also going to maybe go into some realms of some things that aren't so good, but I got to do something. And what Paul and the scriptures that we're going to read today have to say is, it's not about anything that you can do that is going to help you. It's about what has already been done, of what already has been accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ, and that he is sufficient to fill that void and to cease that vacuum, if you will, of air just seeping into your life to where you want to get your heart, if you will, your mind, if you will, connected not to this other relationship, this person, but you want to get connected just to Jesus. Because what He has done and what He has accomplished is everything that you need. That's what it means for Him to be sufficient. A couple of weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, we looked at Colossians 1. You don't, you don't need to turn there, although it might be very close to where we're going to be, but, but I shared with you, like, this is the passage in Colossians 1. It's one of, like, the four major Christological passages. There's your, you know, $5 word from seminary. It's one of those major passages of Scripture that talks about the supremacy of who Jesus is, that He is God in the flesh. But if that's talking about the supremacy of Jesus, as we introduced last week, and we're definitely going to see kind of at the pinnacle of chapter 2 today, is that if He is supreme, that's who He is, then He is also sufficient because of who He is and what He has accomplished. Chapter 1 was, let's look at who He is. Chapter 2 is, let's look at what He's done. So I want us to read this today, and I hope that it's just a joy for us. Open up your Bible, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin uh, in verse 8. And we'll be looking through all the way verse 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And note how many different times it says, In Him. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him 
having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is more than enough. And so before we continue, let's pray and ask that he would be with us in this time. Father, Father, may we know just how supremely sufficient Jesus is, that he is more than enough in our life. And if you would, where you are, would you just pray for yourself right now and ask God to give you the understanding of what this passage is teaching about Jesus. And if you would, would you pray for me that I'll be a help to you in this passage. Well, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned to you, this week has been an interesting week in preparing for this passage, and as a result, I was telling those who normally prepare the slides that I was like, I just, I don't have something for you yet. I don't have something for you yet. I've been studying this passage up until, truthfully, this morning when I got up early, and so I do have some points. They're just not going to be on the screen, so this is a chance for you to kind of go old school uh, without TV screens and to be able to make those points in your Bible, but I hope that you will, that you'll write these down. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 8, and it's just the command that Paul gives. He says, don't be taken captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. He's saying basically in light of what I've already shared, what I've already written to you this point up to this point of the letter, that since all of this is true of Jesus, what we read in chapter 1, that He's the image of the invisible God, that He is the firstborn of all creation, that He is supreme, since all of this is true and your faith is in Him, Man, I just want you to be cautioned and to beware. Don't, don't drift and don't be taken captive. Don't be swayed by the things of this world because it could very easily happen that you could be taken captive to lesser things. And the lesser things that he refers to in verse 8 are the traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world that there are some things that some guys were coming along in the life of the church and these believers in Colossae and they were saying, that's good about Jesus, but you also need to sprinkle in a little bit of Jewish legalism. And it would also be good if you would sprinkle in maybe a little bit of, uh, of, of, of uh, mysticism. And you need to also spring in some asceticism, and we're going to see some of that next week. But there's these other things that you need to add on to Jesus. And we might say, huh, man, why would they do that? But we do the same thing. There are times in our lives, I believe even as followers of Christ, especially when we're hurting or when we're confused, we're thinking, I, I, I believe that Jesus is enough, but I also need this. For me to get through this incident in my life, I need Jesus, but man, I also really need this relationship. That's going to be what really pushes me over the edge. What I really need in this moment is I need, I need my health to improve. That's really what's going to kind of set me apart. I need something plus Jesus in order to have my peace and my confidence in my life completely settled. And the fact of the matter is, is Paul comes along and he says, all that you have and all that you need is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And it doesn't mean that the maladies of this world are not still going to be difficult at times and that our physical bodies are going to have issue, but Paul is looking at something far more important and far more foundational, and that is your soul. He's looking to the souls of his brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae and saying, man, you're being taken captive and led astray. You don't even realize you become a prisoner of war by the enemy. 
You're allowing these teachings to come into your life. And this is the thing. We do it as well. Uh, people are turning on, whether it's, it's social media, whether it's YouTube, whether it's the news, and they're looking for something else other than Jesus to give them confidence and peace. We look to politics. We look to so many different things of that will give me satisfaction, that will calm the storm that is in my mind and in my heart, that will feel that vacuum seal of air that's just coming in and exposing a raw nerve in my life. I need something plus Jesus. What Paul is saying is don't, don't be taken captive by these things, but listen to me, this is it, but rather be captivated by Jesus. Don't be taken captive by the things of the world, but be captivated by Jesus. And sometimes we seem like we're so bored with Jesus. We're just like, yeah, I know what he did, and he was a carpenter, and he lived a long time ago. I know the story. I celebrate Christmas. I've been to Easter. I know about Jesus. But if that's our flippant mentality about Jesus, then do you really know Jesus? of what He has accomplished on our behalf that the God creator of the universe would look at insignificant blip on the dot of timeline of eternity, me, and say, I find significance in you that I would send my son to die upon a cross for you. It's, it's unfathomable, and yet we get bored with the idea of Jesus. I know for some of you, your story of your relationship with Christ. You shared with me how you came to faith in Jesus And if you're like me, I can remember when I was six years old and hearing my dad preach a message, and I just knew that God was stirring within my heart and within my soul that I needed to respond to Him. I didn't have all the theological answers, but I knew that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus was the only answer because of what He had accomplished upon the cross and over the grave. And I asked, and I searched, and I sought, and I seeked. I placed my faith in Jesus, and I was captivated. You gentlemen, you remember your wedding day? When those doors open, some of you look forward to getting married. It's a great moment. There's nothing like it. Those doors open in the back. You're standing here at the front as the groom awaiting your bride. You haven't got to see her. Although technically in my situation, Tiffany is like, if I don't see you before the wedding, I'm going to murder you because I'm so anxious. So I need to make sure we see each other. And so I, but I just remember I hadn't seen her in her dress and that, that door that just it, it opened in the back and just captivated, moved to the point to where I was just this anxious guy. Like literally my knees were just going back and forth because they said, don't lock your knees. Whatever you do, don't lock your knees. And so I was just anxious and I was just getting all kinds of nervous in a good way. And she makes her way forward. And honestly, as she got closer and closer, the more captivated I came, as she came towards me, I just began to calm down because I was like, my bride is here. That's in an earthly relationship. Some of you right now, this is your life in your mind, in your heart, in the depths of your soul. And you're just, you're anxious. And there's an unsettledness in your life. What Jesus has accomplished can settle your soul. Let us rather be captivated by Him. That's the first thing that he says, man. Don't, don't be taken captive. Rather be captivated by Jesus. And the question is, might be, okay, that's a great advice, Paul. Be captivated by Jesus. Like, hey, go, go be in shape. Okay. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of a difficult thing. It's like, no, no, no. Paul's going to say, here's how. Here's how to be captivated by Jesus. Why you should be captivated by Jesus. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. 
This is second point. First point, don't be taken captive. Second point, Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. Why? Because verse 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What that simply means is this, Jesus is God. He's not kind of God. He's not 50% God. He's 100% God, 100% man. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And you say, well, how do do you know that? I mean, that's a bold statement and claim that Paul is making that you're reiterating here this morning. Well, here's how I know. Let's look at our third point. Verse 10 through 12, or excuse me, verse 10, he lets us know that we are complete in Jesus. That's point number three. You are complete in Jesus. It might say in your translation that you have been made complete, that you have been made full. You're to the brim of all that you need in Jesus. You're complete. You're full. You're lacking nothing. Why? How? Because there's nothing lacking in Jesus. Again, you don't need Jesus plus anything. You just need Jesus. Some of you remember that film in the late 90s, Jerry Maguire, and it just ruined a lot of guys in the relationship with their girlfriends of where Jerry Maguire comes into the room and he's talking to Renee Zellweger and he goes, you complete me. And girls just swooned all over the country. And I just remember being like, that's ridiculous. That's just stupid. Um, That doesn't make any sense. That's not actually true. And I can remember theologically, I was like, man, if you're looking for a man or for a woman to complete you, you're going to be let down because we all let each other down. Even in our closest of relationships, friendships, marriage, there are going to be those moments where we disappoint and where we let down, but not with Jesus. Only Jesus can bring that level of completion and fullness within your life where you are not found lacking of anything. And the reason being is if he is God, Does he not have the ability, yet even the capacity, to give you all that you need? I would think so. Some of you feel like, God, you're holding out on me. That's the original sin of the garden. When Adam and Eve are like being tempted by Satan, and Satan's like, you know, you won't really die if you eat of that fruit of the garden. Again, we've clarified the banana. If you eat of that banana in the garden, you you won't surely die. And, And they begin to be tempted by this idea. And what Satan is really doing is he's saying, God is holding out on you. There's something else that you need and he won't let you have it. The fact of the matter is, is Adam and Eve had everything that they needed in that garden and then some. The fact of the matter is, if you are in Christ, this is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. This is what I'm saying to you as your pastor of Mission Point. If you are in Christ, in him, you have everything you need. Quit dabbling with something else. Quit dabbling with the things of the world. Quit looking to be satisfied, complete in anything else other than Jesus because you are complete in Him. There's so much more just on that statement, but we got to move on. Number, th- number four. I told you, man, we're moving. Number four. So you have been taken captive. Jesus is more than enough. You are complete in Jesus, but also, verses 11 through 12, you are cleansed in Jesus. You're cleansed. In verse 11, he He says that in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And a lot of times, whenever the word circumcision comes up in a setting like this, we squirm a little because it's like, I don't, do we, do we need to talk about that? And the fact of the matter is, is what Paul is doing is he's wanting to take a physical reality and unlock what was intended to be a physical means to demonstrate a covenant with God, but was at a much deeper level, not a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. What, what Paul is saying, when he says, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision, notice it says, made without hands. That means he's talking spiritually at this moment. 
He understands that there is the physical marker of circumcision where on the eighth day a Jewish boy would be circumcised and there would be the cutting of the foreskin, there would be the cutting off of the, of the flesh. But what he's saying is that ceremony, though it does demonstrate for the Jewish people a covenant with their God, with the God, there was a much deeper meaning behind it. We find out later in the prophets that there was so much more about not just the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of your heart, that you would have a new heart in your life. That's ultimately what God has designed and wanted to see happen among His people, is that you would have a new heart, a new life found in Him. And so Paul is using this ceremony and this ritual as a means to open their eyes to the spiritual truth, not just the physical truth because he's wanting to go deeper. And he does the same thing with baptism. He does the same thing with baptism. Baptism is not a Christian thing that we came up with. Before Jesus even showed up on the scene for his earthly ministry, remember John the Baptist? He was baptizing people. Baptism was something that was going on. It was a ceremony. It was a ritual that was taking place long before the church started using it as a means out of obedience of what, God, uh, what Jesus told us to do, but baptism was before all that. Much like circumcision, it was a physical, symbolic representation of a spiritual change in someone's life, an inward reality of what had happened. And the outward, the symbol of circumcision or baptism was hopefully going to represent the spiritual truth on the inside. I phrase it like this. With circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh physically Uh, demonstrated a covenant with God, but symbolically a cleansing or a cutting away of the flesh. That's that key word, symbolizing. But it was a cleansing. Baptism is the washing away, if you will, of dirt and grime, but it symbolizes a much deeper cleansing that has already happened in your life through faith in Jesus. That's exactly what those are. So we don't diminish. Circumcision is fine. Baptism is great. These ceremonies are good. But what we want to is not just go through the routines and the rituals of those things. We want to know what it is that they represent. We don't want to trust that the cleansing of our life was the result of a ritual or a ceremony. As powerful as those things are, they are not the thing that we trust our life upon. And sometimes what we say is we'll say, I don't do that. But here's the thing. Let's take away for a second baptism. I've been in church settings, as I imagine that you have, whether it was what, what was stated from like the church covenant or not, there was almost this sense of, if you really want to be in, if you really want to be cleansed, then you need, to, you, need to, you need to show up. You need to be a part of church attendance. You need to show up. If you really want to be a part of what God is doing, you need to clean up your act. Stop the drinking. Stop the smoking. You got to clean up your act. You got to clean up your life. These are the things that you need to do, and then you can obtain to salvation in Christ. Friends, you come as you are to Jesus in all your filth and your grime, in all of your just stink, and you recognize that it's in Him and Him alone that can clean me up. And it doesn't need to begin on the outside, though that's not an unimportant thing, it must begin on the inside. 
that I choose and I chose to follow in obedience of believer's baptism. I believed and then I was baptized and I go through that ritual or ceremony not to say now I'm in, is to say I was already in because of what Jesus has done, not what I can do. Because if it's what I can do, then we should just get everybody up here and just start dunking you over and over again just to say, we did it for you, we did it for you, we did it for you. But that's not the answer. It wasn't circumcision, it wasn't baptism, though powerful, powerful pictures. It was Christ and Christ alone. I'll give you another example of this. A common answer I receive from this question when I've asked people, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And I've had individuals come up to me and their response is, well, I've been baptized. It's not what I asked. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Well, I've been baptized is not the answer. The answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. I can remember a heartbreaking event. I think I've told you guys before, I had to do far too many funerals at the church I was at in Oklahoma. and I, I saw some really powerful funeral services, like just praising God in the midst of, of death and grief. And I saw just some... Uh, Families can be mean during that time. And I can remember there was one family who, it's interesting to me, whenever anyone dies, they always are a Christian, no matter how they live their life. Everyone's a Christian when they die because we want to believe the best and hope. And I can remember a family member telling me about one of theirs that passed away and said, even on his deathbed, he was like, I don't believe in Jesus. But when it was time for the funeral, it was people trying to talk up how this guy was with the Lord in heaven. It was like, I'm not the judge, I don't know, but based upon the confession of his mouth, having a hard time with wanting to give people a false hope that this guy is with the Lord. And I remember this family, they were searching just feverishly for the certificate of baptism. That they could find that and wave it in the air and say, see, this certificate of baptism demonstrates his salvation. And it's heartbreaking because though that's awesome, I, I gave certificates of baptism to people who got saved in my church because we want to mark that occasion because it is a fun big deal. But that certificate is just a piece of paper and that baptism is just water. And it's just something that we, that we go through, but it means nothing if you have not yet first believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who takes away the sins of the world, that He is the only means of salvation. i got to believe in Him, in Him alone. That's the only way that I'm made complete and full and cleansed and forgiven is in Jesus, not anything or anyone else. So don't trust your life in a rite, a ritual, or a ceremony. Though they're powerful and we celebrate baptism, it does not save. Paul wants them to know that. You're only cleansed in Jesus. Next point. So don't be taken captive. Jesus is more than enough. You are complete in Christ. You are cleansed in Jesus. The next one is you are alive with Jesus. Notice it changed a little bit with the preposition. You are alive with Jesus. Not you are in Jesus, but you're alive with him. Look at verse 13 and 14. This passage, before we jump into it, is really the heart and the meat, I believe, of this passage. I love it. And some of you have asked the question before. If someone were to ask you, I think I asked this last week or the week before last, of what must I do to be saved? And sometimes what we want to do is we want to go based on, well, I had this feeling and I had this experience and it's like, that's good, that's what you experienced, 
but I'm not you, how do I know based upon what authority can I be in Christ? So I don't want to give them just my stuff, though it can be helpful, sure, it's relatable, but I want to come to the authority that's greater than I of the Word and say, this is what Scripture teaches to know that you are in Christ. This is a great passage that if you could sit across from someone that maybe is a family member in your life, maybe a friend in your life, maybe that person that you've been praying for this whole year that you live, work, or play with, and you're like, I want them to know Jesus. But, but where would I take them in Scripture? Take them to Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and just explain this text to them. It's just two brief verses. And what Paul is saying here is he says, when you were dead in your transgressions, that's the first thing right there, is you were dead in your transgressions. Uh, you're, you're dead dead. Your trespasses, what that means is that you have trespassed. Literally, it's that idea that you've crossed a line that, that you shouldn't have crossed. You've gone on, if you will, to someone's property that you shouldn't have. You have trespassed, not just once, but multiple times. So you are responsible for your guilt and for your debt of sin because you have trespassed. But not only are you responsible for it because of your actions, it's also, he goes back to this idea of the uncircumcision of your flesh. What he's talking about is you have willfully chosen to cross the line and to sin. We've all transgressed. We've all sinned. But you were also born with a sin nature, the uncircumcision of your flesh, and so you were born into sin. So you're like, you're like double in trouble. <laughs> Not only were you born into this with the curse, but now you are following and living out that curse of trespassing, of sinning against God. And what we have to do is get beyond this idea that, oh, uh, you're kind of sick. You, you need to be healed. You, you need a doctor to come into your life. No, 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 no. You're not sick. You're dead. You are dead. Again, those funerals that I've had to be a part of, to, to see a body, have you ever, I don't want to get, get too morbid, but I've, I've seen a body before it's prepared for a funeral. And there's no makeup. There's maybe just a sheet you see the face, and it's cold, and it's lifeless. It's just it's rigor mortis. It's dead. There's nothing that that person can do to come to life. They can't conjure up enough within themselves, because they're dead, to be like, if I do this really hard, then I'll come to life. Huh? You're dead. Sometimes we talk about getting saved. And people are like, you know, someone threw you a lifesaver, a life raft. I'm like, hey, grab onto that. You're dead. That means you're just sinking to the bottom of the ocean. You're dead. You can't reach or grab for anything. So if you're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, then what we need is something miraculous and supernatural to bring you to life. And that's exactly what happens. Look at what he says. He says, you're dead. If you're taking notes, actually, I would say in verses 13 and 14 in the side, just write out the word dead and then the next word life. That's the progression that Paul is going on. He says that you were dead in your trespasses, and then he goes on and he says, he made you alive together with him. This is God the Father. God the Father has made you alive together with Jesus. I thought we might get a little amen or something. That's a big deal. He made you alive. You were dead. Not sick, not lost at sea, dead. 
And see, as you begin to grasp this and allow your mind to really sink into the truth of the Scripture, my hope is that it begins to ebb away, not the things that are going on in your life that they're not important, but it's just like, man, when I gain an eternal perspective, I have such confidence in Jesus. He took a dead guy, a dead lady, and I'm alive now. So the question might be, okay, that's awesome. How? How did he do that? Well, First of all, it says, as he continues in verse 13, he says, he made you alive together with him. Here it is, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Not just one of them, not just in general, the idea of sin or the idea of transgression. He says all, and then plural, transgressions. Everything on the list of your life. When you were born, even your sin nature, all of it. And then even things that you're going to be doing tomorrow or next week, all of your transgressions have been forgiven. That's how he makes you alive. Okay, he forgave me. That's how he made me alive. But how could he possibly forgive me if I've transgressed? I'm glad you asked that question. And he answers it. Look at verse 14. He says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, like legally hostile towards us, and what would happen is, again, there would be this list. Uh, I'm going to just use this piece of paper. Whenever in this day and time, if you were going to purchase something and you didn't have the money for it, but you're like, oh, I'm good for it. I'm good for it. Put it on my tab. You know, I'm good. They would write out literally what you owe. It was a certificate of debt. And when, what they would write on is papyrus or vellum. Papyrus was basically some kind of like plant-based type of writing material. Vellum was basically animal hide. And oftentimes, specifically with animal hide, they would write with ink that didn't have acid in it, so it would stick, but it wouldn't take much to rub that off. And what would happen is uh, they would have that certificate of debt. It would be written, and then King James actually translates it this way, and I actually kind of like it, is... What, what they would actually do is there would be that certificate of debt, and when it was forgiven, it says literally not just cancel, that's the, the, the literal word, but the King James uses this kind of interpretation, which I do like, is they would actually blot out the debt. They would be able to take some kind of rag, some kind of something on that vellum, that animal hide with that ink, and they could basically erase it. They could make it clean. They could get it right off there. I was going to bring a whiteboard in here, but I was having trouble getting it ready. Um, but they, they would blot it out. That's exactly what we would do. They would cancel, they would cancel that debt. That's how you, who were dead in your sin, are able to be forgiven because he has canceled the debt that was hostile towards you. You had a legally binding contract that basically says you're in debt and you're guilty. Your name is on it. There's a paper trail of all of your trespasses that show guilty, 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 guilty. And it's like, I'm just in big trouble. <laughs> like, how, how could I possibly? It's just a laundry list of stuff. How could I possibly have this taken care of? It's just too much. Because God made you alive together with Him by canceling your debt. But not only does He cancel it, blot it out, it says that He sets it aside. Now, I'm not going to throw this because those are my notes, but basically, here's your certificate of debt. He's blotted it out, and what Paul does is he actually starts kind of mixing metaphors because he wants his Colossian uh, friends to get it. He's like, sometimes when a, a debt was canceled, they blotted out, so it's gone, it's erased, it's no more, it's, it's forgiven. Other times, what they would do is they'd take it, and they would 
set it aside. That didn't go very far. Uh, uh, but they would set it aside. And so it's taken care of. That's another way. But the ultimate means that Paul basically wants to illustrate this is he says they take that certificate of debt and yes, it's canceled, it's blotted out. Yes, it's set aside, it's no longer on your ledger, it's no longer a part of who you are because your trespasses, all of them have been forgiven. But it's also been nailed to the cross. And this is good. So wake up and listen if you aren't. So I made myself a little cross this morning. Tiffany was like, what are you doing out there? So I just want you to imagine that that this is the cross of Jesus for just a second. And some of you know that sometimes some people think it was just a T. Uh, some people think there was a little bit above the T, like a, like a capital T versus a lowercase T. Either way, towards the top, oftentimes what Roman authorities would do is they would take the charges of the criminal and they would place them up here above the criminal. So that way when you as an ordinary citizen walked by someone who was crucified and dying and hanging there, you weren't just like, hmm, that stinks for you. It was like, oh, that's why they killed you. That's why you're being crucified. I see your certificate of debt. I see the trespasses. I see your guilt. It's right there. It's written. And for Jesus, it's basically said, I'm the king of the, or he's the king of the Jews. And it was basically it's kind of intended to be like a sarcastic thing, though it was truth, of this idea that he's an insurrectionist trying to take over Caesar, essentially. It was basically like, we don't really have anything against him, but he said he was a king, so we'll just throw that up there as what he's kind of guilty of, of why he's being crucified. When Paul talks about this idea of having been forgiven, the canceling of your debt, the blotting out of your debt, the setting aside of your debt, it's this picture of, I just want you to imagine, what did you do yesterday that you know was a trespass? What did, what did you do a couple of weeks ago? What, what, maybe what's that one thing in your life that you look back on and there's still a little bit of like, cannot believe I said that, cannot believe I did that, I can't believe I drank that, I can't believe I, whatever it might be, I cannot believe it. All of your trespasses from when you were a wee lad to now, and this is what blows my mind, is even what I will do two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now, God already knows, and it's all written down and the picture is, it's almost as if I have this picture of Jesus taking your debt in his hand, and he's holding it up there on the cross, and this could get dangerous. He's holding it up there on the cross. And he's like, I got it. Your certificate of death is in my hand. And it's, it's, it's on me. I take it. Your entire laundry list, your entire bill, your, your paper trail of your trespass, your sin, past, present, future, it's in my hand, my nail-scarred hand upon that cross. That is power of what Jesus was willing to accomplish for you. And sometimes we think, man, there's something i got to do to get my messed up life right. It's what he's already done. Do you trust in that? Do you trust in him? And when you do, Paul is wanting to just hammer the point, no pun intended. He's wanting to hammer the point of Colossians. Why would you possibly go to that guy, to that teaching, to that thing? Because no one else did this for you. 
You have been made alive together with Him. Here's the good news. You are alive in Christ because He is alive. Yes, He took those transgressions. He took that upon the cross. It's all been nailed upon Him, if you will, upon that tree, upon that cross. <clears throat> and excuse me, I'm so sorry. And, and as a result of it, what you have is you have Jesus taking your debt and saying, it's mine. And now you get to live as a free man forgiven. That's how you are forgiven. Some people have made the comment of salvation being, as it says in Romans 6, 23, that it's a, it's a free gift of God. Yes and no. For you to receive the gift of salvation is, yes, free. There's nothing that you need to do. But sometimes I've heard people before, and you might be someone in this room right now, you would say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. How could he just cancel it? blotted out, erased it. That feels like he's just dismissing my transgression. Like, I've heard people say before to me, you don't know what I've done. There's no means or way by which he can, nor should I even allow him to be able to do so. And what I would say is, is, is God does not dismiss your trespass. He does not just dismiss your debt. He paid for it. That's why we sang before, and we're going to sing it a little bit after, Jesus paid it all to hammer the point home. They didn't just dismiss your sin and just wave some kind of God wand and say, oh, you're forgiven. No, it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. An innocent man took on your trespasses. Do you like it when you're innocent and someone who was guilty gets their stuff on you? And you're like, that wasn't me. That was that guy. Go after him. And Jesus is like, that wasn't me. That was that guy. I will take it on. Every last bit. He doesn't just leave it at that. Paul finishes, verse 15. Last point, you are triumphant because of Jesus. Some of you are living your life with your head hung low or down because of this life, and you do not need to do that. You're victorious. Verse 15, he had displayed the rulers and authorities. The rulers and authorities are demons, principalities, Satan, darkness, spiritual warfare. You're victorious. You didn't do anything. But what happens is, is Jesus, God, takes these rulers and authorities, He disarms them, He makes a public spectacle of them, and shows that He's triumphant over them. Now, why would they do this? This is something that Paul is taking from that day and time. Whenever Rome would defeat an enemy, what would happen is, they would actually, the, the conquering king was out on the battlefield fighting on your behalf. You're the citizen. You're not out there fighting with the king. You're back home. And you're, you would be petrified when you would hear of, let's say, for example, of like, I don't know, Hannibal the Great and just how terrifying he was and what he would do to men, women, boys, and little girls. It's just like despicable. And there'd be fear in your life of like, what if that enemy comes after me? What if he tries to attack me? And there'd be fear in your life. You'd be unsettled. And the king goes and fights the war on your behalf. And then the good news, the herald would come back from the battlefield and declare victory. Good news. The gospel is being heralded that we won. We defeated the enemy. But it wasn't just the news that you heard. Now the enemies that have been defeated and all the spoil of war that you would collect 
would be like a three-day parade. Some historians have, have, have shared this, a three-day parade of just the citizens who didn't do any of the fighting are getting to see the victory of the enemy. They would bring the spoils of war, the armor, all the gold and all the silver and everything that they had. They would just be marched in front of the people. And on the last day, they would bring in the defeated king. And right behind him would be the king who defeated the king, who defeated the enemy. And what it would do is it would demonstrate to those who maybe had a little bit of fear and hesitancy with that guy is powerful, that, that evil king is nasty, he could definitely mess up my life. It changes their disposition whenever they see him shackled and in chains. Whenever they see that he is lost, we have won. I am victorious with my king. Friends, we have an enemy. And if you will, he has been defanged. <laughs> He's still nasty. He's still vile. He still is the prince of the air and still has some power, rule, and authority. But we already know that he has been defeated. It was inaugurated, if you will, upon the cross. It'll be consummated at the end of the ages when he and all of his other minions will be cast into the lake of fire. God wins. He is victorious. And if you are in Christ, you can live victoriously. The enemy has no sway or hold on you. So don't allow him to get a foothold in your life. Don't allow him to whisper temptations or accusations, because oftentimes, what does the enemy like to do to you? He likes to take your list of sins and trespasses, the things that you did in your past six years ago, seven years ago, 30 years ago, and say, see what you did? You're no good. You're no different. What you have to do is you have to, figuratively speaking, look at him in the eye and go, that's not me anymore. It's been blotted out, it's been canceled, it's been set aside, and Jesus took it with him upon the cross. It has been nailed to the cross. You can accuse me all you want, but I know who I am. I am in Christ. As it, Paul repeatedly said, in him, in him, in him, with him, with him, with him. I am in Christ and I am with Christ. I have overcome because of him. What I want to invite you guys to do, and I, I thought a lot about this this week, what do you do with this? How do you respond to this? My hope is that in the same way that those people were watching the spectacle of the triumphant and defeated kingdoms, rulers and authorities being paraded before them, they cheered and they praised their king for defeating the enemy. In a second, you're going to have a chance to cheer, to praise, and to sing that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's who you are in Christ. Last question, and then we'll, we'll sing. Isaac, if you want, you can come on up. Um, <laughs> I, I've actually, uh, I've looked at this passage before, and I've actually had moments of where uh, I've had people come up to something like this and like write down a sin in their life and, and nail it up here. And I, as I got to thinking about that, I was like, it's an interesting visual illustration. It's interactive, but I was thinking, I was like, but you're, you're nailing it on there. And there's a sense of like, I'm doing something. And I was like, I, I don't, that's definitely not what Paul is teaching. He's wanting you to be reminded that it's not what you do, but it's what he's already done. And so maybe for some of you, just maybe a, a, a picture in your mind is just this idea of, I don't know, maybe just see... <laughs> your list of transgressions on this cross represented on this paper that it's done. It's finished. There's no reason for you to walk in defeat with your head hanging low of like, ah, oh, I just can't get over this or that. 
I'm not saying that we aren't going to have difficulty or hardship in our life. But if you're in Christ, you have victory. You're triumphant in Him. Sometimes people ask the question, well, how do I know that my debt was paid? Well, if, if I were to go to a restaurant and I didn't have my wallet with me, and they gave me the bill, they gave me the tab, they gave me that certificate of debt, and they said, you're not leaving until you pay it in full. And they're very serious about it. I can't leave. I got to get it paid somehow. I got to work it off, if you will. The reason why I know that your certificate of death has been paid in full is because when Jesus went to the grave, three days later, it must have all been paid in full because he was allowed to go. He was dismissed. He didn't have to try to figure out how to pay it off. It was paid in full. He was able to walk out of that grave because he paid your debt and mine. Man, that's good news. Share that with people. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I've always kind of, I know that I'm in Christ, but how does it all work? Colossians 2, 13 and 14. That's how it worked. And it wasn't simple. And it wasn't cheap. It was costly. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What I want to invite you to do is if you just want to pray with somebody, maybe you're just like, I don't even really know what to do right now. I'm kind of overwhelmed. Man, I'd love to pray with you. We'll just praise the Lord. If you're someone you're like, man, I just don't know. I still feel like there's something I... I still feel like there's something. <laughs> there's fidgety Stephen. Um, I feel like there's still something that I need to do to get right with God. I'll tell you this. That's not a bad question. That's a good question. But I want to give you the right answer. Let's talk about that. I don't want you to struggle wrestling today. What do I got to do? It's already been done. You're to place your faith in Him. For others of you, just sing and worship the one who took your transgressions, every last one of them. So if you would, would you stand? Would you sing with Isaac and really sing to the Lord of what Jesus has done for you? And if you need to talk, I'll be right here. I'd love to talk to you.